Titus chapter 2. We finished chapter 1. We did it in two parts. We're in uh, chapter 2 tonight. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. It's not a lot, but uh, there's a lot in here, and we're going to have fun tonight. So, Lord, we just thank you for the word. We thank you for this time together where we can come and have you teach us and train us. Holy Spirit, we open up our hearts for you to take the word and make it to come alive, to, to drive it deep in the soil of our hearts. Father, purify the soil of our hearts. Break up the fallow ground. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Talking to Titus now, the Apostle Paul speaking. Verse 2, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, love, and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And let's just stop right there. That's plenty for this week. But Titus shifts its gears here a little bit. Paul uh, dealt with the false teachers. He dealt with the marks of uh, those who would be you know, in leadership. Uh, and now we're shifting gears here and we're talking about the roles of people in the body of Christ so that they can be effective. Now, remember, Paul is training and coaching Titus with this epistle because he wants him to be an effective minister in Crete. And I'll mention this every time we're in this book. The Cretans were a tough group. Has anyone ever hung out with Cretans? They were a tough group. They had sketchy character. They had sketchy morality. They blurred the lines and pushed the lines and changed the lines and erased the lines. They were also plagued by what the Scripture describes as many false teachers. And these teachers were of the circumcision. They were half-converted Jews who were not really down with the gospel, so they decided to try and enhance it for their own gain. What was behind that? They wanted to divide the church to have people follow them so that they could fleece the people, the scripture says, for filthy lucre, for money, for monetary sake. So you've got false teachers trying to divide the church, trying to draw people away, trying to fleece the sheep. You've got all kinds of doctrinal error. You've got, uh, you know, ministry that needs to take place to these people, and they have a whole cultural mess of immorality, and Titus has a big job in front of him to try and deal with all this stuff. Now, he's, in verse 1, Paul instructs Titus to distance himself from the false teachers by having his doctrinal act together. Look what it says here, but as for you, who's he talking to? Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. So this is just a, a, you know, a small statement, but it carries a lot of weight here. Because I'll tell you what, you know, if you're going to separate yourself from the false teachers, you got to make sure the doctrine that you're teaching is solid. Hello? If you're going to separate yourself from false things, you got to make sure your relationship with the Lord is right and honest and true and, and that you're connected to Jesus. Why? Because if they're false and you're not connected, if they're teaching wrong things and you're teaching half-truths, you haven't distinguished yourself from the false. Even though Titus has a call on his life, he still has a duty to uphold the standards of God. Someone say amen. 
So it takes a pure heart to do this. And that's what Paul is telling him here. As for you, Titus, you've got to have a pure heart. You've got to have the humility of a student. Uh, as Christians, we always are, uh, you know, in the place of being taught. So we always have to think like students. You know, some people graduate high school, college, whatever, and they said, that's it, I'm done. I've taken my last test. I wrote my last paper. You know, I'm done learning. Some people never read a book again after school. Why should we read a book, Pastor? We have TV. It's much better. There's pictures. But understand something. You and I never graduate from being students. You say, well, well, Pastor, you're teaching tonight, so you're not a student. All week long, I'm in this, and the Holy Spirit's teaching me. And if I, he don't teach me anything, I've got nothing to say to you. We're going to have to do sock puppets. I got nothing. Right? I'm a student. You got to be a student. So Titus had to be a, stu a student here, and, and that takes humility because a lot of people like to pretend like they know everything. But Christians, we can never have that attitude because we, we only see shadows and glimpses and stuff. We're not going to know everything until we fall into his arms and he opens our minds and he, he shows us all truth. So until then, we're students. Titus was a student. You and I are students. It, it takes, you know, that kind of attitude to have a pure heart, to have the heart of a student, to be disciplined like a soldier, you know, to follow the things of God and to stay pure and unspotted by the things of the world. It takes the discipline of a soldier. That's why Paul, you know, fight the good fight and, you know, uh, and he used imagery like with fighting and, and military and stuff. Why? Because it really takes that level of discipline to keep ourselves pure. If some of us stumbled out onto the battlefield the way we stumble into church, we'd be dead and buried a long time ago. You would have heard taps by now. So all of these things are implied in verse 1 there. Uh, Titus has to have a firm grip on solid, pure theology. He has to remain a student. Let the Holy Spirit teach him. He needs a pure heart. He needs discipline. He's going to need all this and so much more to minister effectively to the Cretans and Paul is encouraging him. You know, most of the remaining verses that we're going to cover tonight and in probably in the next few weeks here, God willing, they focus on specific roles for specific groups. And these groups include older men and older women. Say older. When you're older, you don't get to tap out and retire in the kingdom of God. Oh, that was weak. I heard, I think I heard someone clear their throat. Someone had gas. I didn't hear any... When you, listen, when you, re, you, in the business world, you retire, you collect your pension, you go do whatever. You, in the kingdom, you don't do that. You don't retire, you refire, amen? God's got a use for us until he takes us home. And so, you know, we can't get this attitude, well, you know, that I'm old now, so, you know, let somebody else do it. No, there are roles here specifically for the older men and the older women. Then the two other groups are the young men and the young women, and then he speaks to slaves. We're going to uh, see that that applies to us in the workplace uh, and how we respond to our bosses and those in leadership. Uh, we're going to take the time to get into that, not this week. This week, we're only going to cover older men and older women. It's important that each of these groups mentioned here understand their unique role in the body of Christ. The reason that Paul mentions them individually and covers some specific things for them individually is because they have a unique place in the body of Christ. They have a role in the church. 
And, and also, they have unique strengths and weaknesses. And the enemy is going to attack these specific groups in the areas where they're weak. We're going to look at this in just a minute here, but realize uh, each of us fall into categories in our age group, in our gender, uh, where we are in life, and we have a specific role in the body of Christ. God wants to make us productive in the kingdom from the moment we get saved to the moment he calls us home. Someone say amen. So when the text tells one specific group to do a specific thing, it's a clue to that particular group where the enemy is going to come at them. You know, as we cover these topics here, realize that, you know, God knows where we're strong and where we're weak. And guess where the enemy hits us? Not where we're strong. He hits us where we're weak. There was a football coach. I had a friend that played for Connecticut State University, I don't know, some big school. And the coach told him, don't Tackle the guy where he can do, you know, 500 push-ups. Tackle him where he can't do a sit-up. And they would literally spear them right in that soft midsection there and take them down. So understand, the enemy does the same exact thing. Doesn't hit us where we're strong. Finds where we're soft. Finds where we're weak. And relentlessly goes after that spot. So we're going to see some things revealed here in just the topics that are covered. Now, verse 2, we jump right in. It's a short epistle. Paul's got to get to the point. It starts right in by talking to the older men. And, you know, it says, Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. So we're going to unpack all of that. But I just want to say, you know, why start with the men? And I'll tell you why, because 1 Corinthians 11.3 gives us a clue. But I want you to know the head of every man is Christ. And the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. God has an order. God has structure. He doesn't deviate from it. He doesn't depart from it. He doesn't throw it aside because of our culture. So God has an order here. And I want to say something. If the men are out of order in the body of Christ, nothing's going to work right. Men, if you're out of order in your home, nothing's going to work right. You can't expect your wife to do everything, you know, and you sit there and look at TV or look at your phone or whatever. Men have a role to play. And they are the initiators. They are the leaders. Why? Because God said they had to be. Trust me, if men got to vote on this, they would say, no, I want to just, you know, I'll let somebody else do it. And our culture has done that. And we see men who aren't Christian, they just, I mean, they just don't contribute at all. They're like big kids that, you know, they don't bring anything to the table. And it's not right, and it's not something that needs to happen in the body of Christ. So the men are dealt with first because, you know, if you've got men that are out of order, the the homes are going to be out of order. If the homes are out of order, the church is going to be out of order. If the church is out of order, I've seen this in, in different cultures, in different countries, where you have entire churches where the men don't come. And it's just the ladies. People from other places are saying amen. Yeah, because why? Oh, they don't want to do this. They're at the bar, and the women are trying to have church. I'm hardly getting any amens. I'll just jump into the meat of the text here. So, you know, the men have to get their act together. God deals with them first. Nothing flows properly if the men sit out and don't do what God has called them to do. Now, Paul gives some very specific instructions 
to the men to cover their natural weaknesses. And, and I said, this is where the enemy will hit us, guys, so listen to this. Number one, a godly man must be temperate. If you're taking notes, write that down, temperate. Does it sound like temper? Yeah, that's part of the clue about what it is. Godly men have to be temperate in the sense where they have to be level-headed. Have you ever been someone around someone who is not level-headed? They're all over the place, or they're hot-headed, or they jump to conclusions, or, you know, they're just out of control. Anybody ever been, don't, I'm not raising my hand because I am. I'm just saying, you know, we've all seen it before. And in certain instances, we've all done it before. But godly men have to be temperate. They have to be level-headed. An older man should not be explosive, I remember as a young man doing things and working with my dad or just dealing with situations, and I would get really angry about something, and my dad would be laughing at me. There he is over there. He's trying to pretend he don't hear me. And I'm saying, what are you, I'm mad. Somebody said something to me. Someone cut me off. I'm, I'm angry, and he's laughing. What are you laughing at? He goes, son, you're going to get to an age where that doesn't bother you at all. And as a young man full of testosterone and, and whatever else was flying around in there, I didn't even, you know, I listened to him, but I didn't get it. Now I get it. Things that bothered me, things that enraged me, things that just, you know, made me want to just, you know, lash out, don't even bother me at all anymore. Older men need to grow to the point where, you know, they're level-headed, they're temperate, they, they don't get explosive over everything. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have passion, guys. But what I'm saying is that, you know, we should be in control of our emotions. A godly man should be emotional, but not overly emotional and not explosively emotional. You got to see your faces out there. Some of you look so scared right now. Like I put a PowerPoint pr presentation together. I'm going to put your picture up in a minute. This is human nature here. We got to deal with it. So, you know, the word is telling us be temperate. Can't be overly emotional. Can't be explosive. Can't be divisive. You know, uh, always starting trouble, always creating drama. That, that's a young man's game. That's a child's game. Woo! So why should the older men be temperate? Because the years of experience and the wisdom they've collected along the way, living their life, and, and plus, you know, it's going to sound funny, but, you know, your testosterone drops a little bit, your, your strength drops a little bit, and you start to chillax. This is good. Some of the ladies are going, yes, hallelujah, yes. You know, you know it's just a natural course of things. Our society fights this. Oh, you know, the, the fountain of youth, take this pill, you know, ageless male, you got you to be like 20 again. Just relax. Your youth was your youth and it's past. And now if you're older, you know, uh, relax and just have control of yourself. Have control of your emotions. Don't be so driven by those things that drive young men. Be level-headed. Now, God is not looking for a bunch of opinionated, hot-headed, complaining old gray hairs in the church, right? And if you've ever been around people like that, you know, old people go, they joke, they say, well, I'm retired now. All I do is complain about the government full time, you know, and I'm just, you know, I'm sour and bitter about everything. You don't want to be around someone like that. I've always had older men in my life as friends. Most of my friends are 10 plus years older than me, and they've always been a few steps ahead of me in life, and I've learned a lot from them. 
And you know what? It's good to have that kind of dynamic in the church. One of the things that I lament about living here in New York is that the minute that people retire, they flee the state. And so some of these older men that would be, you know, a great benefit to mentor the young men in the church, they're gone. And it's hard. It's hard to build a church in New York. I think, uh, you know, if you went to one of the states where everybody went, you'd have such a pool of people. You could start all kinds of groups and all kinds of mentoring. I mean, set us free, Lord Jesus. But we need that dynamic in the church. We need older men, elder statesmen, people who have control of their emotions, control of their passions, they're temperate, you know, they're not explosive, they're not just complaining all the time. You know, here's what happens when the older men are not temperate. They lather up the next generation and it's unprofitable. If you get around an older man who should have a spiritual act together, who should have some composure, who should have some wisdom, and all he wants to do is, you know, complain or just lament and, you know, well, when I was young, or, you're not doing anything productive for that younger generation. So this is why this is so important. The younger generation is looking for an example. You know, we don't, we don't need hot-headed gray hairs in the church. We need them with wisdom, with patience, who will spend time and invest. Now, listen, the younger generation watching us older guys, you know, they are always happy to operate a few notches beneath the standard we set. Did you just hear that? The next generation, Pastor Mike, will always instinctively, through laziness, want to do just a little less than the generation before them. You see this in Israel's history. You see it in everything. But understand, what we do in moderation, they will do in excess. So that's why we've got to have our acts together, guys. None of us are perfect, but even in our weakness and our imperfection, we can still be a good example to the next generation. So the first thing that's called for is for godly men to be temperate. Number two, an older man should carry himself in such a way that the grace of God is seen in his life. An older man should be dignified. Look, you know, dignified, when you think of dignified, you know, it stirs up a lot of, a lot of pictures in your head if you're like me. But, you know... Proverbs 16.31 says this, The silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of the righteous. So that what? That gray hair, that silver hair, what does it show? You've lived life, you've, you've put some miles on, you've experienced some things. It's a crown of glory, not just automatically. Otherwise, you know, you could dye your hair and you'd be full of wisdom and patience and no, it's only when it's found in the way of the righteous. So as we live these righteous lives, as we walk with Christ for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you know, we should accumulate uh, enough sanctification and enough working of the Holy Spirit that we are dignified individuals. Now, being dignified in a spiritual sense is not, you know, being puffed up or it's not pomp. It doesn't come from an overinflated sense of self-importance. You know, a lot of people who act dignified are just trying to puff themselves up. The, the Pharisees and the Sadducees literally puffed themselves up. They, they wore these head coverings called phylacteries, and what they would do is they would puff up the sides of them so they would look larger than life, and then they'd walk into a crowd, and they're like, me, 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 me. Trying to bring attention to themselves. That's not what the Bible's talking about being dignified. That's, you know, man trying to draw attention to himself. And, and that has no place in a godly man's life. 
being dignified spiritually is, is just literally expressing yourself in a classy way. It's being rooted in humility and knowing that your youth is past and it's an honor to serve God in your later years. You know, our culture, again, fights being old, but there are some uh, great benefits to being an older generation if you're godly because you can so impact the next generation. So dignified. Don't, you know, we'll say, what does that mean? That means don't act in a way that's undignified. You say, well, what does that mean? You figure that out. You know when you're out of control. You know when your mouth's not right. You know when you have an attitude. You know when you have no patience. I don't like people. You're, you're that quintessential old codger sitting on the porch in a rocking chair with a shotgun. Praise God. Dignified. Have some dignity. God's poured a lot into you, given you uh, the gift of, you know, living a long life. That's a gift that a lot of people don't get to enjoy. Number three, a godly man should be self-controlled. So we're starting to get a little list together here. Uh, you know, we talked about being dignified and uh, it's not pomp and, you know, we, we've got to control ourselves and be level-headed. But now it talks about self-control. Now, this is different from just being, you know, under control or level-headed. This is in a spiritual sense. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Someone say amen. Galatians 5, through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with the passions and desires. So self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? That means, you know, we develop it as we develop any other fruit of the Spirit. It, there's a learning process to it. So as we're further down the line and we're older in the Lord, we should have developed, you know, a good level of self-control. There again, you know, in our youth, when we're young and we're, you know, we're emotional and hormonal and all these things, you know, a lot of times God has a lot of grace for young men because they're, they're learning their way. But as we get older, now it's getting quiet. What, there's no grace for me? I can't act like a child anymore? No, God expects us to grow up and to be self-controlled, to have ourselves under control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. What a shame it is for an older man to still be driven and tempted by the same things that snare and subdue children and teenagers. What a shame that is. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Have we? It's not automatic. Sounds like it's a choice to me there. I see a whole generation of grown people with gray hair who haven't put off childish things. They're still selfish. They're still self-centered. They still don't discipline their money. They won't love their wives. They don't give enough attention to their children. They want to talk about fantasy football and play video games and act like babies. Say, Pastor Rick, are you mad? No, I'm just telling the truth. The ladies look happy, but your turn is coming, ladies. And I'm an equal opportunity offender, so hang in there. The men always get the beaten first, and the lady's like. Okay, so we got to grow up. We got to be self-controlled. We can't be childish. Proverbs 16, 32. 
He who is slow to anger is better than a mighty man, and he who rules his spirit better than one who can take a city. So it's being in control of your spirit, your emotions. It's being self-controlled. It's putting off childish things. All of these things are good goals for us as we grow older as men so that we can be level-headed, dignified, and self-controlled. Number four, a godly man must be sound in faith, love, and in perseverance. Now, being sound means being solid or dependable or consistent. You know how valuable a person who is dependable and solid and consistent, do you know how valuable they are these days? In the workplace, someone who's dependable, someone who's consistent, someone who actually does their job, who comes in on time, that doesn't bang in sick three times a week? Hello? Come on, I know you work out there. You work with them. You're doing their work when they're not there. God's looking for a few good men. He's looking for some Christian men who will be godly and who will be consistent, who will be sound and solid in faith, love, and perseverance. So, you know, this is a good quality uh, to develop as a man. This is what I try and train my sons to have in their lives from, from a young age. And that's why they, you know, they get jobs and they, they hold positions and, and they, do, they do things ahead of their generation. Why? Because dads put their feet to the fire a long time ago. They've been working with me, cutting wood, dropping trees, all kinds of stuff since they were little guys. And now they're getting positions, they're getting promotions, they're getting, you know, uh, ahead of their, you know, ahead of the curve here. Austin just got promoted to be a manager at McDonald's, and he was so young that they had to get special permission to give him the position because they don't give it at that age. You see, if you train your kids and you discipline them, you know, God will do amazing things with them, but that will carry on into the older age. So God's looking for us to be sound, to be solid. The areas are, you know, faith and love. We get it. You know, you and I should, as older men, should have solid faith. It shouldn't be this, you know, up and down, inconsistent, uh, you know, one day you're hot for the Lord, the next day you're out in the world. No, looking not for a roller coaster Christianity, but solid, Amen. It's so important. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody takes detours. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. But the thing is, even in that, we can develop a consistency in our life that brings glory to the Lord. So God's looking for us to be solid in our faith, solid in love. That's an important thing. Love is something that we learn uh, to extend to others, to our spouses, to our children, to our community. God is looking for that. The word perseverance there means steadfastness. So there again, God's looking for that steady, you know, dependable person who's got the long game in mind. Not everything's a sprint. Not everything's a dash. But we're going for the long haul, amen? I'm not going to do this because it's going to short-circuit the trajectory of my life. I'm not going to partake of that sin. I'm not going to take that morality detour because it has has an effect on my life. I'm not going to look at that on the internet because it destroys my relationship with God. Come on, are you guys getting me tonight? When we have that long-term perspective there, we avoid certain things that the enemy could otherwise trick us into doing because we're not looking far enough ahead. So that was the last point that God deals with the older men. Now he wants to say some things to the older women. Verses 3 through 5 list uh, some of these roles and some warnings for the older women. Now, understand something. Women are an important part of the church. 
as much as I've seen in other cultures where the men don't show up and the ladies are doing everything, look, if you got the men there and they're trying to do what God's called them to do, but you don't have the women to, you know, do their part, it just doesn't function right. You ladies have an attention to detail, an eye for things, that you see things and do things in such a way that we don't do. You all look scared like it's a trap, like I'm trying to trap you. No, we, we need our ladies in the church to do their part. So here's the Apostle Paul. The Cretans are out of control. He's trying to get the men in order. Now he says some things to the ladies. Now, before I jump into these categories, let me just say something. Feminism has so corrupted our culture that women have been provoked to categorically reject any roles being put on them by God, society, or anyone. Oh, you don't have to have children. You don't have to be a mother. That's beneath you. And if you decide to have babies and stay home and you don't have a career, well, feminism will mock you and look down on you. Come on, ladies, don't look at me like I'm making stuff up. The Bible you know, gives roles for men and women, and our culture has categorically rejected them, and feminism has, has done a good job, you know, in, in confusing our ladies to the point where, you know, when you teach some of this stuff, you know, you get eye roll. I remember I was doing a, a wedding, and I'm reading out of the scripture, and the bridesmaids are rolling their eyes when I'm talking about the roles of husband and wives. You know, and, and you think, you know, oh, poor Pastor Rick, you must have been so embarrassed. Man, I was going to smack somebody. <laughs> You're not going to be able to eat your steak and fried shrimp if you don't get that look off your face. Our world just is so unabashedly opposed to truth that they think that we should be embarrassed to say such things in public. Wrong preacher. A godly woman, number one, must be reverent in behavior. You know, and look at what that says there. Again, this is a call for seasoned saints. These are the older ladies who have the mileage with the Lord, and they've, you know, they've raised children, and they've, they've had families, and they've been good wives and all this stuff. And, and God is saying, you know, be reverent in your behavior. There again, this is like what the men were asked to do, to, you know, to be dignified. It's just to have class. How many think that Christians should have class? You know, and I'm telling you what, ladies, you are, you are twice removed from the earth. You know, Adam was made out of dirt, and God took a rib out of him and made you. So, you know, you're a little bit more refined than the man. Have you noticed this? You know, it, it's not hard to tell that we were from the dirt. I come inside, my wife's looking at me like, you better get out of my kitchen with whatever you got on you. So, you know, ladies, you, you're, to, you're to be refined, you're to be reverent, you're, you're to have dignity, all, all these things, you know, it's just class. And sadly, that's missing in our world. You know, it used to be that, you know, men would go in the workplace and have a foul mouth, but if they saw a lady coming by, they'd go, ooh, ooh, a lady. Anybody remember that? Hold the door, push in the seat, anybody remember that? Now, you know, some of you are out there in the world, and you know the ladies can outcuss the guys some days. My wife comes home and tells me, you know, some of the language that she has to listen to all day. Now it's quiet. What happened to class, ladies? What happened to class and, you know, reverent behavior in, in the way we dress? 
Some of the people put pictures on the internet, you know, they're Christians. And they're wearing clothes. You could make their whole outfit from the cotton in the top of an aspirin bottle. <laughs> Smile, it's good for you. My wife and I are like, ah, it's my profile picture. What, what, are, you, what are you profiling? Just telling the truth in church. Class, reverent behavior. <laughs> Again, this is a call to the seasoned saints. Now, the vast majority of you ladies do these things by instinct because it's the way God made you, and it's a beautiful thing. And so, you know, you almost don't have to preach this point to the ones that get it, but our culture doesn't get it, and, and the church, in a lot of ways, doesn't get it. But God has wired the fairer sex, you know, to be self-controlled, to have that reverence and uh, you're so unique in the way you respond to God, the way you worship, the, the passion you have for the things of God. You know, older women shouldn't be rude and nasty and disrespectful with foul mouths. What a shame it is. What a bad example for the next generation. So, ladies, be reverent and be classy because it's the way God made you. And it'll bless everyone around you and set a good example for the next generation. Number two, a godly woman must not be a gossip. Now, Gossip is something that plagues all of humanity. You go by the water cooler at work, whether you're a guy or a girl, people want to grab your ear and give you the latest dirt. You know, so gossip is something that all of us struggle with. But because by design, women are more verbal than men, and because they connect relationally with others with speech, they have a weakness towards gossip. Realize that men will sit in each other's presence for hours and just look at each other and grunt. Uh, you want something to drink? Uh. Ladies, from the second you get together, it is a barrage of words back and forth. It's like two battleships firing on each other. Ba -boom, ba -boom. Words, words, words. I'm telling the truth, right? So with all those words, there's going to be the temptation there to share. I just wanted to share this with you. Someone says, I want to share something with you, just run. Because when it's prefaced like that, nine times out of ten, it's gossip. And the word tells us to avoid gossip. It's not a good thing. But because ladies are verbal, they're a little bit more susceptible to being given over to that than men are, and that's why it's included here. A godly woman must not be a gossip. For men, it's the eyes. We, we're distracted by what we see, but for ladies, it's words. It's the mouth. Now, Proverbs says some things about gossip. I'm going to fire off three scriptures real quick. Proverbs 11:13. a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse person stirs up conflict and gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 20, 19, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. <laughs> I kind of like that scripture there. Ladies, I want to give you the best two ways to avoid being snared by gossip. Number one, live by Ephesians 4.29. If you're taking notes, write that scripture down, ladies, and memorize it, get it in your heart. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If we will ingest this scripture here and live by it, 
we'll be much less tempted to gossip. That's the first way is to be convinced by the word of God that gossip's a bad thing. It's not sharing. It's not, you know, uh, uh, sharing a prayer request. Uh, I don't want to get into the definition of what gossip is, but you know, if it's not about you and it's not about them and it's a sensitive topic and you're sharing it and they're not there, it's gossip. Now here I want to show you a surefire way to avoid gossip, this is number two, have a zero tolerance policy for it. I want to show you how this works. The best way to repel a gossiper is to call them out when they begin to gossip and say, that's gossip. I don't want to hear it. That's quiet. Now, oh, pastor, that sounds confrontational. That sounds, do it. You'll only have to do it once. I guarantee you, if you tell someone that they're gossiping and you don't want to hear it, they will never want to share anything with you again. I, I know people that, oh, I can't stand being, you know, I can't stand being around this lady. All she does is gossip. Did you ever call her on it? Well, no, that'd be rude. Well, then be rude because gossip is a sin. Sometimes we're too polite and we allow ourselves to get snared by other people's bad behavior because we won't call them on it. So if we'll do these two things, ladies, you'll insulate yourself from gossip. But remember, no unwholesome talk coming out of our mouths. That's such a good thing to live by. I'm telling you, that would cut down the amount of things most of us have to say in a day by a huge percentage. If I would just, I mean, there's sometimes there's stuff coming out of my mouth and I'm like, why am I saying this? Anybody else besides me? You're sitting with someone, and you're telling them something, and you're like thinking, as it's coming out, why? Yeah. I know crazy glue works on lips. Might be worth a try. Number three. So, you know, we talked about uh, being classy here and uh, being spiritual, and then we talked about gossip, and Paul moves on. Uh, A godly woman must not be enslaved to much wine. Uh, Ladies... Drunkenness is not a good Christian witness. This goes for men and women. All oh, the men can get drunk. It's not in here, Pastor. You know, we, we can, you know, drink and smoke cigars and, you know, we can gossip too because that's not in our column either. No. This, this applies to all of us, but some of us by gender have certain predispositions to these certain ones. So that's why it got in the ladies column, but it's for the guys too. So uh, a godly woman must not be enslaved by much wine, can't be a drunkard. Now listen, the Bible doesn't say that believers can't drink. Jesus drank wine. It wasn't grape juice. If you look at the Greek word, it was the same word that was used, be not drunk with wine. You can't be drunk with grape juice. You'll get a bellyache and diarrhea, but you can't get drunk. Okay, so the Bible doesn't say thou shall not drink. But listen to me, it does absolutely say that we should never, ever be drunk. So, you know, well, you know, some people can partake and some people have the ability to control themselves and self-control, and that's fine. You know, categorically, we can't say you can't do it because the Bible doesn't say that. But understand, you know, if you can control yourself and you can use it in moderation. I think moderation is a better witness than abstinence in all things. Well, I don't do anything. I just, I'm locked up inside, and I just, I don't talk. I don't look at things. I don't have a TV. I don't, that's not a good witness. So 
the Bible doesn't say thou shall not drink, so some saints are going to drink, but it does say we should never be drunk, and it says it so many places, it's, you know, it's irrefutable. Now, there's nothing more sad than seeing someone who's a believer under the influence of alcohol in public, and they're slurring their words, and they're acting like a fool. I've seen this before in my life, and I, you know, what, what a horrible testimony, what a sad thing. You know, Christians that know better. Now, I understand, you know, people make mistakes. People don't realize what's in their glass. Okay, all, all that aside, you know, just a bad witness. And the older we get, sometimes life gets harder, you know, and people, ref, you know, they, they go to things that they didn't do in their youth, but now, you know, well, you know, I just, I've given myself over to this because it's all I've got or life is too hard or, you know, I, I'm, I have too many hurts and pains or sad. Listen, don't, don't make that excuse for yourself. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, Amen. When we get older, we should spend more time in the Word, more time in God's presence, more time in prayer, not, not more time in a bottle. So, you know, they had a lot of problems in their culture uh, back in the old days because, you know, the water wasn't good to drink. Everyone drank wine. Alcoholism was a huge problem in the early church. Uh, her church history teaches that. If you study it, you'll find out. But Christians need to be, you know, under control. They should never be drunk and they shouldn't be enslaved by wine. Moderation is the key. If you cannot, listen to me, I'll say this to the day I die, if you cannot use alcohol in moderation, you should abstain, period. Hebrews 5, 18, what I, what I was just saying, and do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Number four, a godly woman must be a teacher of righteousness. This is important because the next generation uh, needs teaching. Uh, verses 4 and 5 say, and so they may, what? So they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So ladies have to be teachers and what are, who are you teaching? You're teaching your children, of course, but you're also teaching the young women. We're going to talk about the young men and the young women. They need mentors, amen? As a pastor, I can teach the young women in the congregation through the Scripture, but you know what? They're going to learn better and receive it better from some of the seasoned saints, the ladies who have gone before them, amen? And so this is a, this is a you know, ladies, help me out. Older ladies, help me out. Train up this next generation. They're getting in my office, and they have no idea what it takes to be a wife. They're coming in for premarital counseling. They have no idea what it is to take care of a home, to cook and to clean. They say, well, I don't do that. Well, what do you bring to the table? Is it your stunning good looks alone? Well, I don't do this and I don't do that. I know guys that, you know, married women, and these guys go out and they work hard all day. They make six figures. They pay all the bills, and they come home, and then they cook dinner. It's a shame. Well, I'm not going to let anybody put a role on me. I'm not, you know, I'm blah, 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 blah. okay. You want to fight with God, but God designed all of us to bring something to the table. So, you know, my wife and I have <laughs> done hours and hours of counseling that you could probably help us out with if you train them as they're growing up. And 
They need to be domestic, and they need to know how to do things. Look, both my boys know how to cook. They know how to clean. Uh, if they get in trouble at home, they won't starve. That was kind of a joke. You guys are shot. So be teachers. Your mom is your first teacher. I can still remember all the stuff. My mom's smiling in the front row. She taught me a lot of stuff. I shared the last time I learned my vowels. She taught me this little song. A-E-I-O-U said the robin and away he flew. And I got a whole lot of those things that my mom taught me. Because moms are your first teacher. So moms, teach. But when your kids get older, continue to teach them. And, and continue to teach the young ladies. Why? Look what it says. You need to teach them to be sensible. Have you ever looked at the younger generation and go, they're crazy? I know our parents looked at us. They're crazy. Yeah. Well, it's up to us to make them sensible. To be there, to help them, to pick up the pieces when they mess up and they don't listen and the fallout is everywhere. To be pure. Look at that one. Sensible and pure. You know, we need purity in our young men and women. The percentage of young men and women that are waiting uh, to have sex for marriage is minuscule these days. Quiet now. But we can't turn a blind eye to it. We can't pretend it's not happening. We've got to teach our children, and specifically our young ladies, to be pure. There again, the culture and feminism teaches them the exact opposite. To the point where our young ladies that, you know, used to be, you know, moral and have standards, now they're sexually aggressive to the point where there's no restraint on either side. There's going to be nobody here next Wednesday, I could just tell. You're like, this is too much. I'm going back to the Catholic Church. I've had it. I'm just preaching what's on the paper here. I'm not making this up. Okay, if you're not offended enough, now it says, you know, what, that they're so, it's supposed to be sensible and pure, uh, you know, uh, to love their husbands and their children, to be workers at home. Oh, did the Bible just say to teach them to be homemakers? How dare the Bible? How dare God put that misogynistic role on somebody? I've, heard, I've had friends tell me, you're, you're God's misogynistic. I'll just move on because now we're taking pictures of me over here. Submissive to their own husbands. That's got to be taught. That's got to be modeled. If the older women are disrespectful to their husbands, if they're not submissive, if they do things behind their back, I've counseled for almost 30 years. I've heard things you wouldn't even believe it. Just what goes on, yeah, yeah, he's a big dumb idiot. I spend the money, I do this, I do that. He don't know what's going on. Your kids are watching that. Oh, this is going to be over soon. Just hang in there. So, ladies, you're to be teachers. You're to teach up the next generation. You're to teach your daughters. And those of you who are doing that and doing a good job, I thank you and I applaud you. Uh, it's going to, you know, you're going to make some young man very blessed. Train up your sons, train up your daughters, but be a teacher. Now, let me just run through the two lists here. This is for the older men and the older women. So, for the men, it's said to be temperate, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, love, and perseverance. To the women, it said, be reverent, not a gossip, not a drunkard, be a teacher. Teach the next generation to be sensible, pure, homemakers, and submissive to their husbands. Why? So that the word of God will not be mocked or embarrassed. 
Because when we say we're Christians and the Bible tells us to live a certain way and we don't train our children and we don't conduct ourselves in the way that we are supposed to, the world looks and says, they're just like us. Their divorce rate is just like us. Their kids are sexually active just like ours. They're just like us. God help us. Paul had a lot to say to Titus because he was dealing with Cretans. I think our generation is Cretan qualified. So we got a big job to do. Let's all do our part. Older men and older women, this was our part. So next week we'll get into more. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you tonight for the word. I thank you, Lord God, that, Father, we have, to, we have to face this whether we like it or not. Even if it stings me to preach it and it stings the, the congregation to hear it, Lord, help us to say ouch or amen or whatever we need to say. But, Lord God, this, this challenges us. And, Father, if we'll do these things and we'll take our role seriously, uh, we'll, we'll have healthier churches, healthier homes, healthier communities, and a healthier society. God, I think about the condition of our nation and wonder if it's past the point of no return. Father, we need to be those that say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So let it begin with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.